Hello and welcome to Talkie Talk, a podcast from MediaBias.com. Joining me today is TJ. Hi, David. And we're going to talk about uh, stuff we've been watching, the watch list, some might want to call it. And then we're going to get into some news and then tell you what you should go watch next weekend now that the movie Apocalypse is over. (laughs) Uh, Or not over. Or not over. (laughs) No spoilers. (laughs) So, who wants to start? I can start. David. Uh, I watched a couple movies. Um, <clears throat> one from 2019 and then a bunch of uh, rewatches, and I'll explain why. Ooh. Yeah. So, the one I watched from 2019, this is like my 10th time trying to watch it. Um, it is Steven Soderbergh's High Flying Bird. Oh. Yeah, I think you gave us a teaser that you tried to watch this a couple times last time you were on the like watch list. three months ago. <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, any of you guys seen it? Nope. No. So it takes place during a uh, NBA lockout. The NBA is not named, neither is any team or player. Um, and it is like a, uh, it is about an agent named Ray Burke, and he is, this is actually Andre Holland from Moonlight. Yeah. He plays uh, Kevin, who makes the, uh, <clears throat> makes the uh, Pollo dish for, uh, for Black. Right. In that one. Um, so he's trying to figure out what to do with the players, and he's got uh, pressure and all this stuff. You know, during the lockout, his his agency is pretty cash poor. With that going on, and he tries to fashion like, what if they could do an alternate league? But uh, <clears throat> it doesn't really go very far in that direction, or really any direction. It's also got Zazie Beats in it. Cool. It's pretty cool. I like her. It's got Kyle MacLachlan and Zachary Quinto. It, it's just not really doing a whole lot. Yeah. It seems like uh, it's one of those those movies he shot on an iPhone, mm-hmm. kind of because he could, and he did. And I'm always a fan of Steven Soderbergh doing his own thing, but it's, uh, you know, as I'm a fan of, like, uh, NBA off-season stuff, trades, all this kind of stuff, contract pressure. Yeah. Like, that's interesting to me. And I thought this would be right up my alley, that plus Steven Soderbergh. But it's just, uh, it's not very dynamic at all. Does it, like, devolve into, like, typical basketball movie tropes? Not really. It's more really focused on the agency. You don't actually see any basketball really being played. Nice. Maybe a second of one-on-one. But it's mainly just conversations about the league and about uh, player empowerment. Like, you should be in control of your career. Um, and I don't know, I can't really recommend it that much. Some people uh, love the movie from looking at Letterboxd, some critics. It just uh, it didn't really hit a sweet spot for me. All right. <clears throat> so um, other than that, I had uh, some rewatches because what I'm trying to do with the end of this year is we mark the end of a decade, a decade. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a whole bunch of uh, best of the decade lists. And I'm going to try to do one myself. I started with a list of like 200 movies. And I narrowed it down to 100 and kind of gave an initial ranking, but realized that some of these movies I only saw in the theater in, like, 2010. Yeah. And haven't revisited such it since. So uh, I looked up the movies, which ones I can stream to kind of catch myself back up, and that's what I'm doing. Sweet. Uh, in, in the absence of a lot of stuff that's thrilling me that's available right now as far as newer movies, yeah. um, catching back up on some new classics. Or are they actually new classics? Ooh. So that's uh, kind of my... <laughs> Excellent lead-in. <laughs> my stance. Yeah, we should definitely do that before our crazy season starts in the winter. Yeah. Do a end-of-decade list. 
in like October or something. Yeah, before. whether it ends up being a top ten or top whatever or something. Well, going we can do a site. top ten. It's not like it's in stone. You know what I mean? Sure. Almost like a since we know that these movies are not really talk of fame. Here's our like list of 2010s. Even though 2010 to you know 20 right. 15 could be. Here's like what we think are modern classics. Right. Sure. It'd be fun. So I started this up. Uh, the first one I rewatched was uh, Francis Ha from okay. 2012. Uh, was it? It's like the best mumblecore. Like if somebody's like, "What's mumblecore?" I was like, "Watch this movie." <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, and it uh, turns out it holds up. It's still good. Um, <laughs> man, you could you she's could, so great. You could it, light man. up entire cities just with Greta Gerwig's yeah. charisma and brightness. It's a great cover too. Yeah, the cover is almost like I want to watch that. She just yeah. looks so happy dancing She's on the dancing. street. Yeah, and it's black and white. No Bombach movie. He, she co-wrote it with him. Um, it's it's very good. It's still super lively, even though it's just conversations. Sometimes they're just making conversation about toothpaste or Chinese food. It's still pretty. Uh, it's pretty electric for me. Um, there's some big, uh, some big small cameos in it. It's. It's an early Adam Driver. I think he just started in Girls. Nice. Adam Driver's boyfriend. Kind of, he's kind of a, a d bag. Yeah. She's she him and Joseph Matsello, who's in Marvelous Miss Maisel, and was a kid actor. Um, like they have an apartment together, and she crashes with them for a while. Um, but it's it's very it's a very winning movie, and uh, yeah, Greta Gerwig is a classic. Oh, yeah, Josh Hamilton. I forgot he was in it, too. Yeah, Josh He's Hamilton as well. great dad in 8th grade. Yeah. yeah. Um, after that, I kind of did a duo of Joaquin Phoenix performances. <laughs> I watched both The Master and Her in back-to-back days. Uh, Brent reviewed The Master last week, I think. Oh, okay. Well, I won't talk too much on it. I think it's... it's he didn't, so feel free. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> then I will. <clears throat> I think it's pretty close to perfect. I think it's a it you know it's P.T. Anderson so saying it's one of the best ones is a tough fight. Right. He's got some all timers on there, but it is man is it just a, it is a gorgeous movie. It's shot on like sixty millimeter. It just looks so different. It's like got a grain to it, but it's like such intense resolution. Hmm. The scenes shot during World War Two on like a, uh, a Navy cruiser are great, and Joaquin Phoenix is just, like, otherworldly as this, like, all-physical, non-thinking, like, brute animal character thrust into kind of uh, alternate high society. You know, Philip Seymour Hoffman is Lancaster Dodd. Yeah. He's like an L. Ron Hubbard stand-in, and Amy Adams also throwing heat in that movie. Um, really good. Not as uh, oppressive as I, uh, you know... Some of these are kind of tough rewatches. I thought this might be a little oppressive, but it's not. It's not really. Um, the they do like uh, what do they call them? And like the interview examination stuff. Oh yeah, that stuff is just like the leaps readings. off the screen. Yeah, readings. I think it's a reading. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> where it's like, what is your name, Freddie Quell? What is your name, Freddie Quell? What is your name? And Joaquin Phoenix was just like all natural, kind of breaking a little bit. Like, don't smile, don't laugh. And it's just like, just going through these questions and stuff, and he's just, you know, bearing his soul in that movie. I think it's great. So I've seen, I haven't seen The Master, or Inherent Vice, or Heart 8. Have any of y'all seen Heart 8? Heart 8's the only PT I have never seen. Okay. So where does this, where does this break for you, I guess? Because, like, that's a hard... Eight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a hard eight. <laughs> 
Is it eight? <laughs> I don't know how many movies he did. It is eight. He's made perfect. eight movies. Perfect. Maybe that was his plan, and it's pitched in Hard Eight. No one's seen it, and now he's like just quietly done making movies. So if y'all aren't like PTA enthusiasts like we all are on the podcast, he's got Boogie Nights, fantastic yep. fucking movie. Magnolia, I'm in love with. Love it. Punch Drunk Love is great. Yep. Uh, there Will Be Blood, obviously. Yep. <laughs> all timer. The Master and Heron Vice, which is probably the last on a lot of people's list, I'm guessing. Right. It's lesser, but it's still interesting. And then Phantom Thread, which I bet is either first on people's list or last on people's list. <laughs> yeah. That's one on It Made My Short List for Best of the Decade that I gotta rewatch. You know, I saw it in uh, Oscar run-up, close to a lot of other movies. Yeah. I'd like to uh, divorce it from that and kind of just watch it again, because I, I fucking loved watching that movie. I had that, too. I was doing some website maintenance and I came across my review of Phantom Thread and I read it and like not that the writing was good but I was just like I want to see this movie again because I don't remember being in this headspace (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah, it's probably upper tier for me if you're dividing them in half it's probably in top four but I think you know aside from Heron Vice and again I haven't seen Heart 8 it sounds like they're all like four and a half star movies at a minimum yeah he's a pretty good director so I'm going to see how he shakes out I'm going to watch more PTA before this is all said and done other one is Her I think that's also close to a perfect oh, movie. God, that movie's so fucking heartbreaking. It is. Yeah. It's also, it's like, man, this is going to be a tough watch. But it's kind of like um, melancholy beauty to it. About he's he's going through something. You know, this is the one where he falls in love with his OS. Mm-hmm. Great, great performance by Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, that's one of the ones, like, I wish they awarded voice acting. Because yep. she, she slays it. <laughs> Yeah. And Amy Adams also in that one, and it's got a fun little cast. Chris uh, Pratt's Chris kind Pratt, of a, the guy who's like super cool with him dating an AI, but yeah. doesn't give a shit. And his girlfriend is great too. I can't remember her name. Yeah, the, uh, Rooney Mara is also in it. It's kind of his uh, soon-to-be ex-wife. That's right. Um, she's she's really good, and just love the production design in that. About uh, you know, it's like near future, but it's not dystopia. It's kind of like. I don't know, Google workspace utopia mm. where everyone's got like high-waisted pants and like vibrant color shirts and stuff. <laughs> Everything's just like a little bit off. Our future nightmare. <laughs> yeah. They shot, uh, it's set in LA, but they shot it in Shanghai for just like it to be a little bit different. Yeah. And just all this, all the little touches are just brilliant. Yeah, the voice cast is fantastic, man. Scar Joe, Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, Brian Cox, and Spike Jets. <laughs> <laughs> Spike Jones is really fun. I don't know if you remember the movie. There's a little alien game he plays where he like, it's like motion control. He like wiggles his fingers to make the alien guy go and alien guy responds back to him. And it's just a foul mouthed alien that Spike Jones voices. He's like, fuck you, man. Fuck. Go suck a fuck. <laughs> and he's like, oh, he's like a little kid. Apparently Spike Jones, I was looking at the trivia because I always do after a movie. Apparently Spike Jones loved that voice so much he would do some direction in that voice. <laughs> he's like, move the camera over there, suck a fuck. <laughs> um, so where does it compare uh, with uh, Simone? <laughs> well, I did see Simone in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very prescient, I guess, ahead of its time movie. I think it's probably better than Simone. Okay. I'd have to admit. I'll have to give it another watch. Yeah. Uh, recommend right it. Now, Simone. Like, way up here. For, for the end of the 2000s list of which one of these got it right. <laughs> uh, so, all three of those are kind of five star movies for me. Yeah. And the next movie I saw, I think Brent talked about this recently, was Winner's Bone. Yeah, maybe a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it came up with some podcast recently. Yeah. So I won't speak too much on it. That's it's probably short of a five star for me, 
I love that it's a like Appalachian noir. It's kind of a fun way to go about that. And man, John Hawks is terrifying. I love John Hawks. He's so good. He's so like tense and nervy and gangly, and he's great in that movie. He's such. What's a- the movie? If I've seen it, and I can't remember the name of it now. John Hawks, where he's got like the girls in the woods. It's. I think the name of the movie is Martha one of the gr- May, Marcy, yeah. Marlene. Movie's fucking great, and yeah. John Hawks is incredible. <laughs> Martha May, Marcy, Marlene. I think that's he's it. got like daughters or girl. I, I need to watch it again, but he's got girls in the woods, like training, kind of like Captain Fantastic sort of thing. Okay, way darker. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's more cultish than that. I think because yeah. they're all kind of married to him, yeah, or like they don't believe in that, and they're all like vying for his affection. Mm-hmm. He renames everybody after an M name, which is where the title comes from. Yeah. And I think they break Elizabeth. That was the first time I saw Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, seeing her in that movie. She got praise for it too. I think. Yeah, she's really good. He's really yeah. He's I mean he's a he's a scene stealer just by how like menacing he is in Three Billboards. Yeah. Um, I watched that movie, which I forget what it's called, uh, with Helen Hunt. Uh, the sessions. The right? sessions, yeah, where he where he plays the uh, the you know. He's so good in that. They both are. Yeah, the incapacitated man trying to have sex before he dies. Yeah. Um, Something like, else he's really good in. Uh, to tie that back to Winter's Bone, though, yeah. I think. Not that it was her, like, debut, because I think she was not a household name, but right. she had done stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it remains Jennifer Lawrence's best performance. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's I mean, super... As good as like, she is in Joy, which I know David didn't enjoy that much, but, like, Silver Linings, I think people would go to, but she's so good at Winter's Bone. Yeah. yeah. Her and Silver Lining is probably my favorite, just because it's a lot more fun than this. It's a movie. lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> she she may be the best here. There's so much this non-verbal, like you just feel the pressure on her, pressure the world on her. It's it's a pretty ingenious uh, plot too, um, and you only kind of see the intricacies of you know her father cooks meth, and kind of figuring out what's going on throughout. The entire plot of the movie it does a great job threading that through, kind of like a noir setup. Yeah, and she's she's a good like Philip Marlowe kind of detective stand-in, but she's just taking care of like two kids and she's always wearing like camo with like an overcoat, kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's a great uh, great glimpse into a world. And before Leave No Trace is the only thing I'd seen from Deborah Granick. Yeah, Leave No Trace is also great um, glimpse into a world that I don't know. Right. So she does that real well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's uh, I think that's a thing that's all I've seen. But a couple of movies. Cool, man. And my, my new quest yeah. I'm unveiling. I like it. I watched some stuff. Nice. I'd love to hear about it, TJ. I watched some classics too for a specific reason. Cool. Which is interesting. Um, I watched three movies that Cassandra had never seen in a sitting that I thought was like blasphemous that she had never seen these movies all together. So yeah. I'm going to do all three of them kind of in one okay. to annoy our timestamp scrub okay. <laughs> a little bit. We watched uh, Grease, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Goonies. Oh, I thought it was going to be something where I was able to write trilogy after it. <laughs> nope, nope. Okay. Uh, we'll do it one at a time, though. We watched Grease. It was, uh, I think she probably had. She just wanted to watch Grease again, is my <laughs> prediction. Uh, I ended up giving Grease five stars after watching it. I mean,. It's a fucking absurd premise, first off. Yes. So all the absurd shit that happens throughout fits, kind of. This is the first time I'd watched it with like a critical eye, too. Mm-hmm. And as far as the musical goes, the songs are fucking bangers. <laughs> They're great songs for a musical. I mean, you know, as long as you can get over, like, Kaniki obviously being, like, 34 years old. And, you know, 
trolling around in high school. <laughs> yeah, it's real fucking weird. But uh, it's definitely like a fantasy. Like I would, mm. I would categorize the movie as a fantasy, which kind of surprised me as I watched it. The same yeah, I've time. never gone back with that mindset before. I've never been that sold on it, but I think I've only seen it once in like a hotel room when we were on the family <laughs> trip, and it was on. So not the most ideal academic circumstances, but I could see that. It's like you could see it as a fantasy of remembering your high school years or something like that. Kinda, yeah. And then I mean, I think the vocal performances are great. The you know, I mean, Travolta was a mega talent at the time mm-hmm. with dancing and singing. Still is. is. <laughs> <laughs> Arguable. Um, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on these movies because I think everybody's seen them multiple times. Another five-star film, though, is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which it's up there with Back to the Future. It's just that, like, instant rewatchability mm-hmm. and how fucking amazing those characters are. Yeah. Um, all the characters, pretty much. Mainly the, the main three, and, you know, his sister as well. Yeah. They're just so good. It's it's such a it's such a quotable movie that I, like, I there's, there's so many parts of it that I enjoy that are just, like, strange, off, like, Cameron just, like, randomly, like, Ferris Bueller, you're my hero. Like, that, <laughs> that stuff where it's, yeah. like, it's so good, the writing's so good of, like, Making them like showing like this high school friendship and relationship, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, that even without like all like the fun stuff, the Abe Froman and the you know the parade, it's still you know a, a good like like buddy comedy drama. So this is the first time I'd watched Ferris Bueller since I watched it a couple of years ago and realized that Ferris isn't the one with an arc. Mm-hmm. That every other character is what the movie's about. Everybody else has something to do. Ferris has it fucking figured out from the first second. Yeah. And he always has it figured out. He's never in true danger until the very end when he's really not in true danger because you realize his sister was never going to, like, sell him out. You know what I mean? Right. I wonder um, if Ferris is, like, an early, uh, <clears throat> it's maybe a stretch, but, like, a manic pixie dream boy where he comes into people's lives and they realize what it means to live. There are you know? entire Reddit threads that are like, oh, Ferris Bueller is, like, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, in the movie. Yeah, like, his, his whole purpose is to take these people and show them that, like, life is worth living. Yeah. Or the, this is all a dream in, in Cameron's head and he idolizes Ferris and this is his ideal person. Right. Who he wishes he could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the movie's fucking fantastic. And any movie that's like that... Cheeky and, like, just a rom-com that can also, like, <laughs> make entire Reddit threads about, like, innate plot points. Is yeah. Great. Um, and we watched The Goonies, which was... That movie's so fucking silly. <laughs> I have to admit, I'm in Cassandra's camp. I've never... I've only seen, like, maybe five minutes at a time of it. So, brilliant child acting at times. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is um, the director... Which I will tell you in a second. Sorry, we've gotten good at this. Jean-Luc Godard. Richard Donner. <laughs> uh, shot the film in sequence because it's all kids. Okay. And he wanted like true reactions to things as they were happening. He like released the script to the kids bit by bit mm-hmm. so they wouldn't know what was going on. Built a huge fucking pirate ship. Like That's where a big part of the budget went. So mm-hmm. the kids would actually be seeing the pirate ship for the first time. They actually mm-hmm. had to... He wanted to shoot that once and have it be their initial reactions. But uh, Josh Brolin... As a teenager in the movie, went, oh, fuck, when he saw the ship. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, <clears throat> no, really good. Uh, letting the kids, like, talk over each other mm-hmm. could have backfired, like, horribly. Yeah. But it works pretty well. 
Um, I get it four stars. It's a fun watch. And uh, great, like, you know, the bullshit of, like, New York's a character in the movie or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's set in, like, coastal upstate Oregon. Mm -hmm. And they really nail that, too. Um, But super fun. I mean, a super deep child actor cast. Mm -hmm. Josh Brolin and Samwise. What is the kid who plays Chunk doing now? Uh, He's not Chunky. I looked him up. He's a good-looking dude. Nice. But uh, not much. Didn't he become like a lawyer or something? Yeah, something unrelated to the entertainment industry. Um, you also got, yeah, Josh Brolin, Corey Feldman, uh, Martha Plimpton, who yeah. we know from other stuff. Mm-hmm. She's getting Raising Hope. So yeah. Show? Yeah. Which is pretty funny. Or was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is a good song. <laughs> it's a. Uh, I mean, it's what it is. It's not like yeah anything amazing, but it's definitely a fun. Yeah, if it's a five star movie, it's a five star because you enjoy it so thoroughly, not because it's like excellence in filmmaking. And I actually don't think it's as rewatchable as a lot of people do. Yeah, uh, just because some of it's kind of hard to watch, like with the gangsters or sloth or whatever. It gets yeah. a little. You knew they were like, we gotta have sloth on screen for X amount of minutes, or this won't work. Or we can't sell toys. Right. I hear Goonies come up a lot in interviews with uh, people who have kids, since I can't wait to show their kids. Like Star Wars and Goonies, I just never—I <clears throat> guess I've never seen it, but I never understood Goonies being in that echelon of things you have to show your kids. Yeah, it's not Back to the Future or Back to the Future or Ferris. No, it's not Back to the Future <laughs> or Back to the Future. Back to the Pew Future. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good movie to show kids only because it—it's like it shows a group of kids who are like kind of adventuring, playing make believe, and like running off and like. Like it, it's it's about their friendship mm-hmm. and them like kind of goofing off together, and you know one of their random make believe adventures becomes like a real caper. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like a fun thing to show kids. It's just a little funny. It's like I can't wait to show my kid this movie about these kids running away from their parents <laughs> and being in mortal danger. <laughs> uh, I watched two movies from last year. Uh, one was about what I thought it was. One was. Would have been in my bottom five last year mm, if I would have wow. seen it. Uh, that movie is Holmes and Watson. <laughs> Ooh. It is fucking awful. I've been wanting to watch it because it's on HBO now. Um, I've been wanting to watch it because I'm like, well, it's trying to see Riley and Will Ferrell. I know people say it's bad, but it's probably going to make me laugh a couple times. No. No? No. <laughs> they edited the shit out of the movie, too. It's like 88 minutes long. Huh. And it's still too long. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it's fucking awful. So they, he plays, like, the Will Ferrell character he always plays, which is, like, kind of a bumbling dude who you kind of root for at the same time. Yeah. But they try to have him still be the smartest man in England. Like, he's still <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. But it, does, it makes no fucking sense. There's no, like... <laughs> it doesn't meld at all. So the jokes aren't funny, because it's like, he's the best detective. And he'll do shit where it'll be like, oh, that is a very, like, cool detective move. Astute observation. But then he'll, like, step on a nail, and that's, like, ten minutes or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just fucking... It's real bad. There's a little telling that the commercials for that never had anything that was funny in it. And usually, <laughs> usually those kind of Will Ferrell comedies, they'll spoil like a great gag or a great joke. And yeah. It's like they didn't have one. <laughs> yeah, it was it was not good. How's John C. Ryan? Is he at least... Because he doesn't I have mean, they're, that they're, problem. They're both fine. They just have nothing to work with. Like, I don't blame mm-hmm. them, obviously. Because... 
I mean, I gave Step Brothers fucking five stars. Me and you watched it well, the other day. It's a near perfect movie. It's a classic. Yeah, yeah, it's a perfect comedy. Yeah, but this is just so far away. I mean, it's not that they didn't have their hearts in it. I think. I think it was just a. Uh, they decided it was time to work together again, and this is the best script they had, and it, they didn't have any good scripts. All dressed up, nothing to do. Yeah, it was, it was like, don't watch it. It's that bad. I'm going to make a bold claim right now, just kind of on, like, now that we can move past Holmes and Watson. I think that John C. Riley is the most dynamic actor working today. Oh, wow. Hmm. I think that he is capable of some of the best work in drama and some of the best work in comedy, and no other actor is really on his level. So by dynamic, you mean he has the most range? Yes. <laughs> okay. He has the it's most. Not, it's not ridiculous. Mm-mm. I mean, he's there's a reason we goof around about the John C. Riley Award, but like there's a reason why he gets cast in these like phenom movies. Yeah, yeah I might have come. like Brad Pitt up there. Um, <clears throat> but a picture of Brad Pitt in a musical. Yeah, but I mean, the only reason we can picture John C. Riley in a musical is because he did one. <laughs> well, that's yeah. years ago. Well, that's I know, but I'm just saying, like, it's not. <clears throat> Saying picture Brad Pitt in the musical doesn't mean he can't do musicals because if you said that in 2000 about John C. Riley, it would have also been the same thing. You know what I mean? But that, that's the point of my claim is that it's John C. Riley has done everything. Sure. We, we have whether, or not, whether or not Brad Pitt is turning down scripts where they're like, we're thinking about you for this musical, like, is irrelevant because someone else who's acting has said yes to all So of he's got the most dynamic filmography, but he's not necessarily the most dynamic actor working. But then I think in addition... He's great in all of those roles, doing all of those things. Yeah, he is the I mean, most useful tool to argue about some in Hollywood. Yeah, <clears throat> Holmes yeah. Watson is bad. Yeah, <laughs> but that aside, I think that he's John C. Riley is he does voice work. He does like television spots too on Cartoon Network. Yeah, he's great in the uh, Ralph movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. dumb comedies, serious movies. Even Marvel. He's yeah. fun in Guardians. Yeah. yeah. Neat. It's not, right. it's not a ridiculous statement, though. <laughs> when you said it, I was like, no. And I thought about it for a minute. I was like, well. I think it was probably more true like a decade ago. Yeah. When he was constantly doing shit that was kind mm-hmm. of receiving critical acclaim. Yeah. But he hadn't fallen off or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, then I watched one that I gave it. It's a three and a half star movie. slightly above average only due to the special effects. I was really hoping it was going to get a nomination because it looked cool but I watched Welcome to Marwin. Oh, cool. Hmm. Um, not a lot going on there. Uh, I mean, Steve Carell's great and the special effects are really cool. Yeah. But the plot is just kind of all over the place. Leslie Mann as the female lead is weird. She seems to be outperformed by the other females in the movie. Mm-hmm. Which are, uh, oh my god, I can't remember her name now. Brianna Tarth. Oh, Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah, Gwendolyn Christie is one of the five women that, like, saviors of Marlon. Janelle Monet. Janelle Monet has a super small role. But, uh, yeah, it's just kind of, meh, as far as the story goes. It's edited well. They keep it pretty short. Yeah. I think you messaged me on a Sunday morning, said, if you're thinking about watching Welcome to Marlon, it's a bummer. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the guy's life is a bummer, so right. I guess that wasn't much of a thing, but they don't shy away from that, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, the guy in real life got jumped by a bunch of Nancy's. people outside a bar. Yeah, yeah, Aryan folk. Well, if you're interested in that, <clears throat> it's something I've always wanted to check out, and it's been on my watch list, or my queue forever, is it's based on a documentary. The Marco. Marwin Call. Marwin Call, that's right. Yeah, I think it's like, it's maybe Welsh or British or something. 
where, where the guy actually lived, and he yeah. got obsessed with that stuff. And you can see the actual figurines in the actual town. Yeah. So if it intrigues you, you know, you, you may want to check that out. I've been yeah, I've, I've watched some for forever. like YouTube videos on that guy, mm-hmm. but I haven't been able to find the doc anywhere. There's a there's another documentary that I watched at some point in the last like five years, which name I can't remember, but it's about a guy in a similar situation, except there wasn't like a big trauma, but he was a shut in. And then when he died, his family went to go basically clean out his house and found that he'd basically written like millions of pages of this fantasy world and like maps and he'd drawn like written. Yeah. He'd apparently written like 20 different languages and they had like linguists come in and check it out. But that kind of stuff that like, yeah, yeah, yeah. making, making a world out of your limitations is always really interesting to me. So I'm going to check out Welcome to Marwin, even though you were kind of middling on it. I would recommend it because I mean, it's definitely a... A showcase of filmmaking, at, at the least. <laughs> I, just want, I was about to say, I want to make a bold statement. <laughs> Steve Carell <laughs> is the most dynamic actor of our time. <laughs> he is up there, probably. He's really good. Uh, and then I watched one 2019 movie. I watched Glass. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, it's not It's not that great. Oh. Yeah. It was yeah. disappointing. Yeah. Where does it, it miss before where it hits? I don't think M. Night knew what he wanted to do when he made the movie. Okay. I think he made Split, which was great. I mean, Unbreakable and Split are both at least four stars for me. I'm not sure where I actually have them. So mm-hmm. they were both great. But he, uh, I think he felt rushed to do this, and he just didn't have time to make the script that he needed to make. Okay. There's just... The twist is... an. I like twists in horror movies or whatever, but I want to earn. I want the movie to earn them, right? You know what I mean? Like I, I want it to be something I could have put together if I would have paid better attention or thought about you it. You want to buy it? Yeah. And this twist uh, has no basis on anything that's happened prior. <laughs> it's just like here's a new element to the movie in the last five minutes. Is it that the movie is happening in the universe with the happening, and all the trees start making them kill themselves? Yeah, they turn into the trees from Wizard of Oz and start. <laughs> Throwing apples at people. <laughs> How crazy would it be that at the end of at the end of the movie, tying together the movies that no one thought were in the same universe, he's like, and then surprise, the great Eglon comes and takes them away. <laughs> this is actually <laughs> Lady in the Water. Lady in the Water. And then just every movie ends. Every M Night Shyamalan movie for, forever forward ties into the M Night Shyamalama verse. But here's the thing: for my watch this Glass actually takes place in the universe that all the other movies I watched last week. <laughs> Take place and they're all tied together in glass. Um, no, the performances aren't great. I mean, uh, um, I'm struggling with the names today. I'm sorry, guys. The James Remar, James McAvoy, is uh, fantastic, but he was great in Split, and uh, I think he was probably my top five performances that year. How's Sarah Paulson? She's like an addition to the yeah. crew. Doesn't get a lot to do. Your no, she gets a lot to do. She's got more lines than anybody else. Oh. Your, your household is also kind of lukewarm on Sarah Paulson generally. Well, yeah, Cassandra, I was like, I forgot Sarah Paulson was in it, and Cass obviously didn't know because she didn't yeah. pay attention to shit like that. And I was like, oh, Sarah Paulson, I think she's in a lot of this movie, actually. And Cass was like, great. And I was like, why do you hate her? Because she's in everything you love. Yeah. Like, loves AHS, loved American, uh, the O.J. Simpson, mm-hmm. Ryan Murphy shit. Yeah. So, she's just like, no, I like the choices she makes. <laughs> I just don't like her face. <laughs> Um, which is her famous, like, John, famous, John yeah. Cusack quote, famous in our group. She's yeah. just like, I don't hate his movies, I just hate looking at them. <laughs> yeah. Like, God. 
cool, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Not much you can argue with. There. Uh, I mean, but no, it's it's uh, Bruce Willis is like meh. Samuel Jackson is pretty meh. They they uh, they they showed up for the for the for the favor. Yeah, because I don't think that anyone really got paid that much for this movie. No, um, and for it to be like a superhero movie, the like superhero scenes weren't good. Like there is a big fight, obviously, yeah. and it doesn't pay off. There's no payoff on it, really. Well, that was the best thing about Unbreakable was that here you have a superhero who. The only person who thinks he's a hero is his kid, which is like a common expectation. That's not like jumping the shark ever. Mm-hmm. And his big hero moment is not anything that anyone would be like, oh, you're a hero. It's he, like, this guy who was going to rape and murder this woman, he, like, finds him, catches him, beats him, and, like, that's his hero moment in that movie. It's all very, like, humdrum compared to what we think from superhero. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, that's why Split to me was such a, oh, shit, it's in this universe. Because the more remarkable stuff in Unbreakable is all told to you through exposition from Samuel L. Jackson. Right. It's all of the, like, you were in a train crash where everyone was killed but you. You were in, like, a plane crash where everyone was killed but you. Like, you got into a car accident and you walked away from the scene of the crime. A really good security guard because... Yeah. Stop using public transportation. You're killing people. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson was sabotaging those things to try and find uh, if someone was his opposite... And so, when Split was in the same universe, it's like, oh, crazy, I guess that makes sense. If one person is, ex- is exceptional, more people can be. You know, that's Samuel L. Jackson's whole point to it. So then when they tied the universes together, I'm like, well, what the fuck is Bruce Willis going to do against the Split guy? Against, I forget what he's called. The Legion? Beast. The Beast. Um, well, the Beast is one of his Among, 23. Yeah. 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 But, like, what's he going to do? Like, he, if he touches him and, like, feels, like, like reads his future or past... Like, he's not going to learn anything because it's all, these are all locked away in his memory in different places. And then, like, this guy is actually, like, physically mutating his body when he turns into the beast and is, like, going to rip him apart. I just like to think of what did Bruce Willis think? He comes on to set and it's like, oh, you know, my near comatose character, David Dunn, and then looks at what James McAvoy is going to be doing. I was like, oh, this guy's, like, the opposite of me. <laughs> There's still that, like, you see from the trailers that the movie was, like, going to be about them not being superheroes, or right. not having superpowers. Mm-hmm. But it's like, nah, I saw you lift, like, 1,200 pounds. Right. <laughs> like, is with that, your pecs. Is that a lot? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> like, so that's a Tuesday. There's no way this is bullshit. So that that thought was never a possibility. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I don't know. It just... It, I mean, I could talk about the ending and it really wouldn't spoil much because it's that disappointing, but yeah, I know y'all check it out because I fucking loved Unbreakable and Split was really good. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Well, cool. I'd recommend it because it's tied to them and yeah. I'm more of an M. Night fan than I think the other three y'all are. Yeah. So, I'm pretty much going to watch anything he puts out at this point. Yeah. But this is one of his worst. That's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not as bad as... After Earth or... The Crappening. Or... Ooh, Avatar. Go burn! Avatar. But it's it's the worst after that, I think. After those three. Fourth worst. I, I mean, those, those are particularly shitty. <laughs> yeah. There's 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 definitely, like, like tranches of M.I. Shyamalan movies. Yeah. <clears throat> Where, like, here's the bucket of awful ones. Here's, right. the, here's the bucket of, like, okay. And then here's, like, really, like, really good movies. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... 
That's it for me. I've started watching the Star Trek trilogy, but I want to finish that before I talk about it. Cool. Yeah. Well, I got a couple things I want to talk about. I'm going to go through them kind of quickly. Um, <clears throat> the first one is a show. I don't know where it originally aired, but I just randomly needed a show, and I let Netflix feed my eyes. So I started watching the TV show uh, Good Girls. Ah. Oh, cool. <clears throat> uh, starring Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman. Mm-hmm. Um, the premise just seemed really neat. Uh, it's a bunch of like housewife types uh, uh, commit an armed robbery against this grocery store and end up stealing what they think is going to be like thirty thousand bucks for like the the cash drops um, before like the the armored truck comes and picks it up. But it ends up being closer to half a million dollars and find out that a gang it's set in Detroit a gang has been laundering their money. Uh, through, like, various businesses in their town. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get kind of caught up in that. So it's it's kind of... It's, like, equal parts Breaking Bad and... Kind of weeds a little bit? Weeds a little bit, I was yeah. going to say, because I just... I'd heard of it. I didn't know Retta was in it, though. Yeah. Donna from Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. Um, so felt there's got to be comedic relief somewhere. It's Mae Whitman. Uh, Mae Whitman is really the, uh, the, the comedic relief. Oh, really? Her. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Her? Yeah, uh, she uh, she plays Christina Hendricks's sister, which is unimaginable to me. Um, but different species. Yeah, but she's like kind of the the junkie, not junkie, but she's like you know lives in a rundown apartment mm-hmm. um, and is the one who's like fuck yeah, let's do crime. And the other two are kind of like eh, only out of necessity. Mm-hmm. She's President Whitmore's daughter, and will always be only President Whitmore's daughter. <laughs> uh, She's one of the seven evil exes. And, uh, and oh, yeah. arrested. Yeah. Is she the lesbian? Yeah. Yeah. Roxy? Yeah. She's she's the one where Scott is Scott Pilgrim is like, I thought it was a seven evil ex-boyfriend. It's like, you didn't read the email? <laughs> um, <laughs> just but yeah. In, just in college. But yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, I, I haven't disliked any bit of it. It's, it's kind of fun to see how deep the spiral goes. Um, they do some really clever... I mean, it's it's very much a, a TV show about like showing like, hey, ladies, like like moms can do crime too, and it's kind of the uh, expectation that they subvert is like, who would expect these three like basic women to be doing this crime? Uh, so that's where it's kind of Breaking Bad esque and Weeds esque, mm-hmm. um, but it's entertaining. Um, I'd recommend it. The first season is up on Netflix. Second season will be up this fall because it got renewed for a third. So, oh, nice! Yeah. Um, and, it, uh, and it's fun because it films kind of down the road. It films and a lot of stuff in Decatur. I think they're like grocery store. Nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you're wondering what Matthew Lillard is up to, oh. somehow plays Christina Hendricks' husband. Nice. But I, I think that maybe I just hold <laughs> good get Lily. <laughs> I just think that Christina Hendricks is like. So beautiful and a perfect woman that it doesn't matter who she's on screen with. It's like, you're not good enough for her. <laughs> so, in general, I recommend it. I think it's a good show. Um, next, we have the uh, stunning conclusion to last week's watch list update. <laughs> uh, I have finished all of the available episodes of uh, Sabrina. Good or, job. Or as, or as I call in my house, just Brina. 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 Uh, more to Brina. <laughs> it's a hilariously cheesy show. Uh, you know, I, I, I had a good time watching it. Um, 
kind of echo the same thoughts I had last week. It's still weird to see Kiernan Shipka mm-hmm. do anything other than be scolded by Don, Don Draper. Um, and... Yeah, there's more like weird sexualizing of her, and I get that she's old enough to do that, but it's still weird to me. So you're seeing a character you kind of grew up watching as a little girl having an adult situation you're having a problem which, with. Yeah. Which one was worse? <laughs> um, between her and Maisie Williams. Oh. Oh yeah, her too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it makes sense for both characters, but I also have way less time invented invested in the character of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So it seems, as much as people True. thought that it was like really throwaway in Game of Thrones, I thought it was way more throwaway in Sabrina. Um, but like you know, it's it's about like witches and covens and like pagan rituals and like the idea that you know they all like worship at the altar of Satan. So his is you know free will and do what you want and be lustful. So they have like festivals where like one of them is called like the Lupercalia and it's about you know. Witches hunting down wolves, and so it's the guys dressed as wolves. It's their Valentine's Day, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the women dressed as basically like Red Riding Hood. And so they catch, they like go running off in the forest, and when they catch each other, they're supposed to have sex. And then when they're done having sex, they're both supposed to scatter in the woods again and find other people. So like, it's kind of playing off like ideas of paganism and like free will and lust. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense for this. But I still don't like it. Um, Doesn't really lay the groundwork. No. Maybe. That's, that's, to earn that as much. Especially because the, the whole premise of, of this show, like the actual like plotty plot uh, for Talkie Talk is it's Sabrina wrestling with her identity. Her dad died and her dad was a witch and her mom was human. And so it's her kind of struggling. Am I a witch? Am I human? We talked about it last week. Right. Um, and then the second season kind of goes a step further and is like, Oh, Sabrina might be the daughter of the devil himself, and her a mortal woman. So then, what does that make her? And she's got these like weird god powers at some point. I don't know, <laughs> but it's a goofy show. And if you're in a goofy mood and want to just like have something, you know, in your eyeballs, you should watch it. But cool. Yep. I also watched uh, or started a show called Bonding, which I'm not a fan of. Um, I would say avoid it. it. I've seen it, it when I booted up Netflix. There's a thing like you see what I'm just like. You have five seconds to change to right. another thing. It's a BDSM. She's a dominatrix. Yeah, so, basically what I got from it. Yeah, so I, I was gonna gonna watch it because it's it's six like fifteen to seventeen minute episodes. So I'm like, oh cool, I'll be done with this in a flash. I like the format. Yeah, but it's it's this it's basically like the modern web series. Yeah. Um, but so it's this woman who's a grad student who's also a dominatrix and her best friend from high school um, is like down on his luck and needs a job and she wants just like an extra person to help her in her dominatrix business and so it's it's kind of about you know her moonlighting as a dominatrix and the struggles of being a grad student and a uh, a whip jockey uh, huh. but I didn't really like it I think it's, it's pretty ham-fisted um, and I think that you know, I'm always a big fan of non-traditional formats, and I think that, that this one cripples it. I don't think that they have enough time to do anything in the 15 minutes with a topic that's kind of complicated, and they spend a lot of airtime doing, like, kink jokes as opposed to anything really, that's truly meaningful. It's got Darcy Carden in it. You yeah. recognize that name? Yeah, I love her. Yeah. 
in Barry and uh, <clears throat> good place. Good place. Yeah. yeah. But so yeah, that's that's all I really want to say about bonding. Um, and then I watched two movies that TJ watched that he said they're actually pretty good, uh, and no one else watched. Uh, I saw Bumblebee and Crazy Rich Asians. And rather than spend a ton of time boring our listeners with more Transformers talk, I'll just say TJ was right. Bumblebee is pretty good. Um, Bumblebee's pretty good. The uh, The climactic scene at the end is a little ridiculous, but yeah. I think that's to be expected in a yeah. movie where a human befriends a transforming car. Um, especially because she gets this weird hero moment, and I don't understand why, like, they didn't... I mean, why didn't the Eagles fly the ring Mount Doom? Right. But, like, uh, it's just hilarious um i don't really get how this is like it's not retconned to be not in the series where it's like oh this is like kind of bumblebee's origin uh but it doesn't fit with the rest of the transformers movies yeah because the whole thing about like well bumblebee landed and then he hid in the junkyard and then was found like i just watched transformers last night so they said that bumblebee was involved in world war ii so i don't get where this like w- how they make that timeline make sense maybe the transformers have come to earth before and then left again but that that's not the plot with the whole <laughs> right. cybertron bullshit right. or the junkyard is a euphemism for like vichy france <laughs> <laughs> uh good way to point out that i'm thinking too much about the plot of transformers <laughs> yeah uh but and then, but and, but they, they take the time to show at the end of the movie when she says goodbye to Bumblebee, he scans the car that Sam Witwicky finds right. that he, Bumblebee turns into. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so they're doing some to tie it in, but they're not really doing yeah. anything else. I think you hit the nail on the head with the, you're thinking about the plot of a Transformers movie. <laughs> well, if there are six movies out that all exist in the same universe, I would expect the universe to at least be a little bit consistent. Sorry. <laughs> I think the people who made Transformers, if you were like, yeah, so the plot, though, they're like, ooh, we didn't think anybody was going to look at the plot of these movies. Uh, and then and then the other one, yeah, likewise, uh, TJ's right about this one. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians is pretty good. Uh, it's really fun. I also saw it last year. Yeah, okay. Brent is uh, sick at this recording, but I do talk. I did talk to him about Crazy Rich Asians, and he loved it. I mean, yeah. I think he gave it like four stars, but he thought it was... I think I did too. Yeah. This is super. The setting is great. It's so vibrant and pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lovely production design. The costumes are incredible. Just love just being in that high society. You just get like a, a high off of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love uh, Aquafina and uh, Ken Jong. That whole house is fucking hilarious. It's really fucking fun. If you think about it, it's like, oh, that's going to be obnoxious. Because sometimes Ken Jong goes in that room. Yeah, it didn't Aquafina play that way. Though. Be a bit much, but it's a thrill to to be in that house. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun to be in that high society with um, uh, Constance Wu, no uh, Michelle Yeoh, mm-hmm. and very like nose up in the air, like proper high society, and then you kind of take a step back to like like the Beverly Hills high society yeah. with the Aquafina house. It's like the new money versus old money kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it's an it's it works great in the movie. It's kind of like the high society is all high pressure and no mistakes allowed, and then it's like low pressure. The, the steam kind of gets let out when you're with those characters. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, and holy fuck, everyone in that movie is beautiful. Yeah. Oh my god, dude! Like it's 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 unfair the cast they got for that yeah. movie. Yeah, Gemma Chan. <clears throat> 
I think I forget her character's name, but she kind of just descends into that movie like from heaven. And yeah. Just, like, yeah. Like just like floats through it and says, "Okay, mortals, bye." <laughs> is that the is that the favorite cousin who, the character who he says is his favorite cousin, the one whose husband is cheating on her? Yeah. Yeah. And like. They talk about all the things like all the other cousins do that are like really important and high pressure, and then they talk about her, and he's like, "She's my favorite. She can do anything." And just like shows her walking to a jewelry store, and they're like, "It's fifteen million dollars for his earring." And she's like, "Yep, I want him." Like, there's no justification for her being that rich or that anything. Right. But you're like, "But look at her. She's like abjectly beautiful. Of course she can do that." <laughs> um, but yeah, I want to do a brain surgery. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm scrubbing in. Uh... Interesting. <laughs> uh, TJ is showing me a galaxy brain moment on his iPad, and I don't understand. I've been like twisting my iPad in my hands, and I just looked down and I've Googled 16 colon 9 ratio. <laughs> uh, that's the aspect ratio on a TV. Anyway, uh, probably autocomplete. <laughs> that's it for what I watched. Um, those things. I don't know if we want to talk Survivor. It always feels like when we've left the chair open for Elijah, uh, we should kind of. Wait until uh, uh, Castaway Captain Breezy's back. Yeah, we can punt. Yeah, um, David, we can talk about the challenge. I feel like we should just do an end of season recap. We've we've kind of let it fall by the wayside, but just to reiterate, it's a great season, really, really fun. Yeah, love the new blood. Um, we can probably just leave it at that. Love yeah. that they cleared out some old stand-ins that always dominate airtime. Yeah, to let these guys shine. Yep, really enjoying it. Um, and then Breezy, 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 David, unless you've got some, some Game of Thrones thoughts to, sh- to share, TJ and I kind of dominate the airwaves talking about it. It's pretty good. Um, I, I told you, Chris, that I listened to all like hour of your conversation. I had no idea if you guys actually enjoyed the episode. <laughs> Just for me, it's, I loved it. Yeah. I think it's some of the, the best stuff from the first couple seasons, people talking in rooms, but now it's with like nine years of caring about where they came from to have these conversations. They really earn that. So I, I loved it and I'm really looking forward to uh, the episode we just watched. <laughs> Which we all had uh, a lot of thoughts on. Yeah. We've, oh my god, the swords, right? <laughs> we at least addressed that fiction by every recap episode so far talking about how we were recording it immediately afterwards gotcha. and that we had to do it out of necessity. Right. Because of our recording schedule. Because of weekends and whatnot. But at least this last one was great. Hour and a half? I could have gotten two and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Three, even. Let's not get crazy. Uh, I got a couple of bits of breezy. Uh, One is just nothing to talk about but a ridiculous headline. Uh, Avengers Endgame. Non-spoilers coming up, so you're good. Uh, Made $156 million on Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good. One day. It's a light light day. It's ridiculous. Uh, The other bit of a couple of bits of kind of sad news. Um, uh, they've got a trial date. I know we hate talking about this, but it's just huge news. They finally got a... He's being charged with rape, sexual assault. Harvey Weinstein's got a trial date now in September. So never. hopefully that's kind of the first step. Yeah. Of, never thought it was ever going to happen. I didn't think that he'd actually still might trial. Not, right. But mm-hmm. uh, hopefully this is the first step of him getting what he deserves and us not having to talk about that anymore yeah sure. um and then sad sad news uh john singleton uh suffered a stroke mm. and uh 
it was in the news outlets. He was in a coma, but his daughter came out. And actually, I thought it was going to be some crazy shit. Cause the headline was like, "Daughter says he's not in coma," but then I read her quotes, and they're very well spoken and put together. And she's just like, "He's not in a coma. He's in a. He's just medically sedated to keep his blood pressure down. He's getting better." Um, mm-hmm. So apparently, it's not life threatening, but still super sad. Yeah, he was a. Yeah, he's a big director. It's huge in the nineties, and uh, you know, as far as the <clears throat> Academy Awards go, too, he kind of. Broke a lot of the barrier there uh, in recent times for African-Americans behind the camera. First African-American director, Mm -hmm. and also I think the youngest, at least at the time, ever nominated. That was for uh, Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood, which Mm -hmm. is a fantastic watch if anybody hadn't seen it. Yeah. Um, Speaking of the Academy, I do want to address a couple pieces of news that came out this past week. Um, For the least important of the bits of news from the uh, board meeting... Uh, our award best foreign language film is being renamed and renamed only to best international film. So there you go. Uh, I don't know how that helps or does anything except maybe the coalition of the countries were like, Hey, don't call it best foreign language film because when we record them, they're not foreign. Uh, but I don't know why they made that change, but they did. It was basically, it was like what's un- it, unanimously approved. What's it called in the Baptist? Do you know what I mean? <clears throat> I think it's like best film um, not in it's the like some, language. yeah, okay, it's like that. Best so, non English language film, convoluted yeah, I think it's like that. <laughs> title, yeah. But so they renamed that for what it's worth. If, you know, it's it's always interesting to think about why they're doing it. Um, they said that, that it was because you know filmmaking has become more of a global process where it's like you know, travels of a t shirt and a globalized economy, right? Like, right, mm-hmm. there's bits of pieces from every part of the world to kind of make a big budget blockbuster come out in the U.S. already. So this is recognizing when those efforts are wholly off our outside of our borders. Mm-hmm. But the other big bit of news is, uh, and I think I said this exactly to you guys outside earlier, uh, that they told Steven Spielberg to kick fucking rocks. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> they voted down his submitted proposal that uh, movies that are available on streaming platforms uh, on the same date as they are available in theaters, should not be eligible for uh, recognition by the Academy. And the Academy went, nah, Steve, that's stupid. Um, So movies that are, uh, as long as they're released day and date in a theater in L.A. County and meet all other Academy eligibility uh, requirements, it doesn't matter if they're available on streaming also. Mm -hmm. Good. I mean, I'm I'm totally open-minded to hear, I was telling you all this outside, so I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the... Like, if he's got a logical argument about why, I'm totally, I'm, I'm all ears. Yeah. But I haven't heard anything that makes any fucking sense at all about why these movies shouldn't be considered in the, put yeah. side by side by his, you know, movies that don't have to worry about finding somebody to distribute them. Yeah. It's, it just comes, he comes off as being from a privileged position. His The argument he made is like, it should be widely available to everybody for like a period of like eight weeks or something like that. It's like, okay, you can distribute, you have your own distribution company, you could do anything you want, Steven Spielberg, but an indie filmmaker, this may be the only shot they have, or maybe they can only be in theaters for a two-week run and then ride a nomination to more eyeballs. Yeah. Well, there are movies that just don't, it's not like a gimme to have distribution right. want your movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are great movies that like perform at Cannes or Sundance. And then get put on Amazon two weeks later. 
Right. And they're fucking great. And it's just because no, there just weren't good investments. So for a movie to be good now, you're also saying it has to be a good investment? Like, that's just insane. Yeah. He's, he's, he's ignoring a part of his career where he wasn't already a super famous director who could have everything he wants. Because when he was a kid, or when he was young, or back in his day... You know, you went around and you shopped your scripts and you, you know, pitched everything on a reel and and now it's so easy for young filmmakers. And I really think that that's the angle that he's, the, the, the perspective he's coming from. And it's just like, I don't know, maybe it's, it's pretty clear by everything I talk about ever on this podcast, but like, that boomer mentality is just so fucking poisonous mm-hmm. to <clears throat> anything, especially in a medium where, you know, you should be welcoming like new voices and perspectives. Why would you include anything that would stifle the recognition of it or the the distribution of it? Like, period. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me why a creative would want another creative's work to not be seen. Yeah, and I've flip-flopped on this, too. But, like, I'm in the same kind of boat with Chris Nolan and his, like, see my movie in 3D IMAX or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, no. Yeah. You can't tell me to go spend $90 on your movie with my girlfriend. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to watch it on my iPhone just to piss you off now. <laughs> like, I mean, I get it. Like, he made a movie and this is the best format to watch it. That's great. Thanks for the recommendation. If I can afford it, I'll go check it out. You know what I mean? But <clears throat> otherwise, I'm going to go see it at the cheap theater down the street. Yeah. Sometimes you light the candles and turn on, you know, Luther Vandross and treat yourself. But sometimes you just <laughs> get the job done. <laughs> <clears throat> but, so I like that, that they, they voted down his proposal. Um any other bits of breezy or, or more, more talk in that nature? That's a NARP. Uh, we'll take that amount of silence as a nope. So now that uh, we've reached the end game, uh, and you've all seen the end game, or you haven't, and you're going to go see that this weekend, I, if I were a, a major motion picture studio, I still wouldn't release a movie the weekend after <laughs> end game comes out. Uh, because people... Give, give it a wide berth. Yeah. Um, but there are probably movies releasing, and uh, uh, if you've got time, they are. Uh, a few movies, three movies coming out. They all look pretty awful. Uh, a psychological thriller film called The Intruder, starring Dennis Quaid. I've seen a trailer for this. Oh, yeah, the guy mows their lawn. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like... This used to be my house, slash, still my house, in my mind. <laughs> the end. I'm sure they kill him. Uh, yeah, I think he plays a bad guy who <laughs> intrudes on some people <laughs> in their home. Yeah. Um, it doesn't look very good. Um, so hopefully one of these movies that I'm looking up at the last second, because I forgot this was a part of the podcast we've done 170 times. <laughs> Uh, there's a movie called Longshot. Oh, I want to see this. This is the, uh, Charlize Theron is like, uh, potentially running for president or is like a secretary of state and she's not likable. So she runs into her high school or someone had a crush on her in high school, Seth Rogen, to try to make her more approachable and like make her speeches funnier. Yeah. I think it was originally called like Blarsky. After Seth Rogen's character, I don't love that it's such a generic name, but uh, it looks interesting, and I love uh, I love uh, Charlie Theron. Yeah, it's yeah. also got a pretty good cast. It's uh, June Diane Raphael, uh, Alexander Skarsgård, uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Lisa Kudrow, 
Randy Orton's in it. But like Andy Serkis, Bob Odenkirk, Randall Park. It's just like a great comedian cast. Yeah. Lil Yachty's in it. Taking. <laughs> isn't it Jonathan Levine that's doing it? Yeah. Directing it? He yeah. did 50-50. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, and the third movie you can watch is Ugly Dolls, starring Nick Jonas, Kelly Clarkson, Charlie XCX, and Lizzo. <laughs> what? Yeah. We don't need to say anything else about that movie. I've seen the trailer. It looked fucking well. Like CGI, a, like... Really awful animated movie. Trolls Afterbirth. <laughs> <laughs> Trolls Afterbirth. <laughs> I can leave that in. Can you cut that to the beginning of the podcast? It's just the first thing our listeners hear. Troll Afterbirth. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, I'm guessing that we're a 3 0 decision to go see Longshot. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the only one that sounds interesting. Yeah. I might watch it Trader at some point if it gets good reviews. It's one of those movies that could. Like, yeah. oh, it's like it could turn into like Hush or something, but I doubt it. It reminds me of like the Lakeview Terrace movie. Remember mm-hmm. that? Where Samuel Sam Jackson, Jackson is, is the, like, the, hates his white interracial couple neighbors. Patrick Wilson? Yeah. 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 I saw that. It was bad. Yeah. Where at the beginning <laughs> of the trailer, Sam Jackson goes up to him and goes, like, You don't belong here. And then they spend the rest of the movie not belonging there. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Yeah. Uh, but that, does that wrap it up? I think so. Almost said, who's got homework? But <laughs> we all do. We all. <laughs> it's The Last Emperor. I changed it. Oh, uh, yeah. So we also extended that, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, available on Criterion. So if you, like us, have paid money for Criterion, then watch The Last Emperor. Or if you own the Blu-ray, it looks like it's probably very visually stunning. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, Marty got taken off of Prime after the podcast, and that's why we didn't uh, watch Last Emperor this week, because of you, not because of us at all. (laughs) Because I went from assigning the shortest Academy Award winner of all time for Best Picture to maybe the longest. (laughs) One of the longest, for sure. One of the longest, yeah. 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 So, anyway, that was your homework. That's still your homework. But that's the podcast. And... What if we just didn't do an outro and we just stopped the recording and let Boo Reefa play us out? Thanks for listening to the podcast. Things you can do to help us are subscribe to the podcast. Give us a four-star or five-star rating. Um, you can tweet with us. Tweet, tweet. <laughs> At the Media My Us. We got Facebook groups. Uh, uh, Facebook groups? Facebook <laughs> Mom, they're called Facebook groups. Go to thefacebook.com. <laughs> and we have movies by us, TV by us, and games by us. And great conversations with some great folks. So and check we'll, it out. And like the media by us page on Facebook as well. Yep, that's helpful. And we have a Gmail. I don't know. We'll do whatever. <laughs> you can get free. Uh, I don't know HelloFresh or something. <laughs> we'll, pay, we'll pay for you to get a pair of undies if you email us. <laughs> we won't do that. <laughs> And uh, I want to say thanks to Willow Walkers for the opening thanks. song. Willow Walkers. Willow Walkers. And thanks to Boo Raven for the outro song. Thanks. Thanks. And thanks for listening to us do this thing. Bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I